The church as an institution, as we have set it up, is dying. And I don't know why we're so scared to talk about this, because the central story of our faith is death and resurrection. Preach that. Welcome to All God's Children. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go and talk about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining the Raceless Gospel Podcast, where word meets flesh, and where we gather to talk about the sticks and stones that break the skin and bones of the body of Christ and the structure of a church service. I am your host and podcast pastor, Starlet Thomas. Season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast is brought to you in part by the CBF Podcast. Since 2016, the CBF Podcast has delivered over 300 episodes of interviews with thinkers, authors, theologians, creatives, and practitioners for conversations that matter. These critical and innovative conversations have garnered weekly support from around the world. The CBF Podcast tries to cultivate healthy and diverse theological dialogue in a culture fraught with division. Stream and subscribe to the CBF Podcast on Apple, Google, Amazon, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast platforms. Learn more at cbf.net slash podcasts. On today's podcast, I am joined by Amy Butler, who is the Intentional Senior Minister at National City Christian Church in Washington, D.C. We will discuss the body language of the North American church, which continues to toe the line. But first, won't you pray for us and do pray with me? God undivided, who comes in a group of three, a pack of the Trinity. I am so grateful that you are expressed as a divine community. This holy three keeps me company. Not split down the middle, on the right or the left side, you are many, and I accept you fully. God, I want to be found on the Lord's side, not breaking my stride, but stepping up to do the work and to bear witness to the kingdom that is coming and to the one who does not paint us into a corner. Help us to accept full responsibility for not living into the fullness of your image, instead dividing and splintering and divvying it up, carving it up, coloring it in, and then drawing a line around it. This color line, we dare not cross it, and especially not on Sunday morning. No, God, at 11 a.m. sharp, it's a hard line, but it's well past time that we erase it. Give us the courage to face it, that is, the heresy of a racialized body of Christ, and to face the fact that you don't come in our favorite color. Show us that your love is not a fine line, a thin line between colors. Point us to a place not far from here, but that is far different from here. Remind us that we know the way, that it started the day we were baptized and that we didn't just put our toe in. Amen. Can I get a witness? 
Can the North American church bear witness as the hands and feet of Christ and stop drawing lines in the sand? Stop towing the color line? I want to testify to exhaustion. I am tired of hearing that God is love and that we are siblings, only to bear witness to hate and an ongoing sibling rivalry. Christians, oh, Christians, will you knock it off? Break it up. If you are not hugging or high-fiving, keep your hands to yourself. If you can't say anything nice about your sibling in the faith, what can you say to anyone else I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing all the fussing and fighting. God loves us all. God doesn't play favorites. We are a family now. Act like it or so help me. Pull up a chair. The reservation is for one and all. I'm tired of the food fights over the communion table and the body language that says that God is not willing and able to accept us all. We are, we are literally fighting over the dead body of Christ. And I'm tired. I'm sick and tired. I'm tired of the gross displays of pride, the pretension, pandering and pretending that we are all on the same side. Don't! Don't point any fingers. Just raise your hand real high. Every one of us is responsible as members of the body of Christ. So get up and help me erase the color line. Our scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 26. And it reads this way in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, your podcast pastor, and we'll be right back. I'm Wanda Hardy Kidd. I'm a retired campus minister in my late 60s, living in North Carolina. A couple of years ago, burdened by grief, I left home, alone, a road trip, just me, my truck camper, and a broken spirit. But I found healing in my desert wanderings. This June, join me for the journey again. 30 episodes, a short one each day. Journey through the desert from me, Wanda Hardy Kid, and Good Faith Media. This is Reverend Starlet Thomas, welcoming you back to this episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast. I want to introduce to some and present again to others, Amy Butler, who is also the founder of Invested Faith. For today's sermon, we will engage in the tradition of call and response, a sacred back and forth, 
feel free to join in as official members of the Amen Corner. Pray for us as we discuss the North American church's body language. So the first question is this. Uh, as you know, the season three, we're talking about body language. And so uh, this episode is focused on the ways in which the North American church toes the color line. And so in W.E.B. Dubois' seminal work, uh, The Souls of Black Folk, he wrote, uh, the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line. Sadly, it remains unresolved in the 21st century. Uh, what do you make of this perennial issue? Why, why does it keep coming up or not going away? Well, how long do we have? Um, <laughs> Take your time. So, as someone who presents as a, a white woman, you know, I'm sort of on the sidelines observing, but I mean, fundamentally, the structures of our society are flawed. And um, there are prejudices that are, are built into every part of what we do and what we say. And the only small way that I've experienced it has been um, being a woman <laughs> and, um, you know, something about myself that I can't hide and being always, you know, marginalized or not taking seriously for, for that reason. Um, I'm working on this project called Invested Faith. And one of our advisors, Diamon Hargis is, is a black man from Indianapolis. And he said to me, like, you know, together we're this like <laughs> team that goes in and people are just like, what? Um, Cause we, we automatically have things working against us. So it's the structures that um, fundamentally allow this, this kind of ongoing prejudice and discrimination to happen. And think of what we're losing. I mean, yeah. the voices of, you know, amazing, amazing thinkers. Um, yeah. yeah. It is, when you say structures, I always think of, um, arms interlocked of bodies uh, positioned so as to prevent. So often when persons think of structures, they think of brick and mortar. And I think of bodies, mm. bodies that stand against, bodies that prop mm. themselves up, bodies that pivot in a way to block the view of, bodies that enhance, that cover mouths and show faces so as not to give credit or to honor voice, that the structures that we have are very much carnal, are fleshly. Yes. Yes. Um, and that we embody those structures, right? We, yes. we do that um, ourselves. And I think the North American church would do well to name that. Um, do you it, think they them, can, Starlet? Ah, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they kill all the prophets. Uh, per, per they the do usual. kill the prophets. They do. Yes. Um, you would think it would be easy since we, 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 we talk about Jesus as the word made flesh um, that we're supposed to embody it and that we should have a word for it. And I find oftentimes we'd rather hold our tongues and profit off of that. I think silence is more profitable. I think if Jesus showed up today, people would hate his guts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think about this so much when I talk to my colleagues about what we give up when we stay silent, you know, um, you know, think about why we went into this work in the first place. We, we believe that God is at work changing the world into a place where everyone can thrive. Do you think that's, that's huh. easy work? It is not. So, you know, you're scared of losing your job. 
your salary, your position, whatever. Fair enough. And also, who are you following? The one who was crucified. Well, that silence, as you know, is violence and enables that. And when you talked about what we lose, you know, persons are concerned about losing jobs and positions and visibility. And I, my greatest fear is losing myself. Mm. I've made the most um, daring decisions out of fear of losing who I want to be, not even who I am presently, but who I could be. That if I don't speak up, if I don't step out, if I don't walk out, I'll never get to meet her or I'll never see that self ever again. Um, Starlight, that is so profound. That is so profound. I mean, I, I want you to say that again. It scares I, me. And I want you to know how you face the fear. That was that was my question for you because it is scary. It's it's either it's do that or or be a copy, or be a stereotype, uh, or be categorized, or be crushed to death by the caste system. I, I can't do it. I I, I just can't. I, it's it's the spirit of Harriet Tubman in me. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Uh, that so egg that eggs me on and says there is something else. There's 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 this twinkle in my eye that I believe is a glint of the North Star that she points to all the time. Mm. I have a fear of losing myself um, mm. and being uh, but, well. I've been in spaces where I know people didn't have anything more to offer me than than submission to their authority. Like mm -hmm. no, I just want you. I just want you to surrender yourself to me. I have no dreams or visions for you. Mm. I just want you to help me build upon my own. And it's like well, no. I, I have my own ways in which I want to show up in the world and the ways in which you want me to erase me completely. And I just can't, I can't do that. That I takes so that. much courage. And I admire that so much about you. I think about our lives as these like brief, brief, so brief little yeah. blips in the whole scope of God's work yeah. in this world. Yeah. And this is what I got. And I'm not, I'm not going to waste it. Like, I don't want to waste it. That's exactly it. right. Yeah. I always, I, maybe because I was raised in a Pentecostal holiness church, I felt I was, we were told that we had to give an account for our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to have to have to own up to whatever you've done with it. And, I, and me being the, the people pleaser that I am, recovering people pleaser that I am, I want to be able to tell God, you know, you gave me this amount of time and this is what I did with it. See God, be happy with me. Um, as opposed to trying to stand up and be pinned these blue ribbons that humanity is handing out. Like, I don't want to be the best yes. of something. I, want, I don't want yes. to be somebody's prize or somebody's trophy. I want to be the person that God spoke into being. I want to be whatever word God said when God spoke me into being. And I don't know what that is yet. I just know that it's raceless. I know that for sure. Um, and so I'm working, working through that. Man, uh, yeah. And with that being said, because I can go on with that. Th with that being said, there's, there's a quote um, that, that's never questioned as to why it remains a matter of fact and a practice of the faithful. Uh, Dr. King said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour in Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Why do followers of Jesus still toe the color line? And how do we address this socially enforced boundary as the body of Christ? Hmm. So I have this story from when I was pastor at Riverside. I did a funeral of like a long beloved member of the church who used to be uh, the director of the children's choir. And um, her son got up to speak and he said, I remember growing up in this church and thinking when I heard Dr. King say those words, I did not know what he was talking about because for so long that congregation has been so integrated. Um, the reason 
that there are not a lot of congregations that are integrated like that. And the reason there's so much conflict at Riverside Church is because when we commit to that kind of diversity, we have to up our level of discomfort. Mm. We have to allow for a level of discomfort that most people don't like, you know, of being called on our stuff of being corrected, of stepping back when we're used to being in the front. And, um, you know, church people, unchurched people, no, no people like to do that. But I think it's a spiritual practice that we're called to do. I'm so glad you said that, because the way in which I was raised is that they taught us that you had to be accountable. Um, and they would hold you accountable and they would call out the sins. They call the role of sins. Um, and the ways in which you, you were not supposed to show up in the world. And so being held accountable in community is something I grew up with. So watching mm. the church now <laughs> double down as a hypocrite is just amazing to me. Like you it's self-righteous people. It's because we have, as we've experienced the decline over the last 60 years, we have preached and we have believed and we have given into a theology of scarcity. Oh, yes. And Oh, and yes, that is a sin. That is a sin. And we do it because we we don't want to lose what feels safe to us. And, you know, Jesus was never about scarcity. Jesus was about the abundance of God's goodness in this world, that it shows up in places we never expect. And if we are still giving into a theology of scarcity, um, we are not living the gospel in this world. And you know, promoting, nurturing, living with, moving through um, diverse relationships is part of embracing God's abundance. Preach that. <laughs> it always, it always, I, I, the only tool we have as disciples of Jesus, um, deny yourself, was take up your cross. That self-mortification is big to me. I don't know how we can step on the feet of Jesus, on the heels of Jesus, uh, if, there's not, if there's not a dying to self. Like, I just don't know how we get in proximity Starla, to Jesus. I call this, like, the worst marketing slogan ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> and we Die. are called to stand up and sell it, you know? Die! You follow me. But we've given in because, like, in 1954, say, for example, the church, and especially the white church, was just like the pinnacle of society. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't want to give that up. But guess what? Here's the good news. The church is becoming more and more peripheral, which means now is our opportunity to be the prophetic voice that we should have been from the beginning. That's right. That's right. That, well, so, that's a word. I was getting ready. How many something. people are preaching that, though? This is, this is what I, I'm scared about. You oh, know? no, the church wants to remain front and center which is never yeah. the position of Jesus. You're already out of order and out of line. Um, right. So there's there's much to talk about with, with regard to that, which leads me to my next question. Uh, speaking of ways in which we're supposed to act in the world, turning the world upside down was a descriptor given uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus' disciples were supposed to be different. Why does the North American church continue to show the world more of the same old divisions? Well, as you know, I, I've started this new project called Invested Faith. It's for um, churches that are at the end of their life cycle to put their assets in a fund that is redistributed to people who are doing the work of God in new and different ways. And um, I think we just got so rich, 
You know, mm-hmm. I read a Guardian article from 2019 that says the, the religious communities in America own more than Google, Microsoft, and Apple combined trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of land, institutions, money, um, endowments, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, when you're wealthy like that, um, you know, as well as I do, the richest people in the church are the smallest givers. My Lord. You know, our wealth defines us. And by wealth, I mean money, but I also mean social capital. We don't want to give it up. We just work as hard as we can to recreate 1954. It's not going to happen. Oh, my God. So I was not aware of that article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we go. We got a lot to talk about then. Yeah. I mean, I read, I can't remember where I read this, but Amy Church is the largest landowner in America. I mean, oh that's profound, you know, and. What a statement that makes yes. about hoarding. Versus this, this while proclaiming this, this theology of scarcity, when you have this abundance tucked away, are you serious? It's heartbreaking and horrible. And I think, you know, preaching through the book of Acts right now, I think like Jesus didn't really come to start a new religion. And here's all these disciples, like, what should we do now? What should we do now? What should we do now? But what they did was up in the systems, up in the systems that were creating the poverty around them. And Please, God, let the church move into that space again. Please. You know, it sounds like the, the way in which you're framing it, it sounds very much like the church is dividing in order to conquer more land and territory. Like you're just well, that's accumulating. It, that's it's, it's very, very colonial. Much, I was getting ready to say it. It's giving <laughs> colonization. And, and I didn't hear it that way until you talked about what they had accumulated. And it just felt like a ransacking, a shaking, a going through the land like pirates. Mm-hmm. And just taking all, oh my God, in the name of God. Yeah. For the sake of religion, as an act of faith. Are yep. you kidding me? Yep, yep. I see Woo. it so much in, um, you know, my home state of Hawaii, which became a state in 1959. Um, and all the land, all the culture was stolen by colonizers in the name of God. And that's the foundation on which we're building. And it's dreadful. Which, which leads me, right, like you're just feeding right into the next, the next question that I have for you, which you're not tiptoeing around anything at this point. What truths is the North American church tiptoeing around? What are we afraid to step on or step into and why? Charlotte, I would, I would boil it down to one thing. We are dying. And everybody's scared of saying it. Even some of my colleagues who work in the space of repurposing church buildings, they call me the the death doula because I um, I'm not afraid to talk about dying because we are dying. Okay. You can look up any, any statistics you want and see that the church as an institution, as we have set it up, is dying. And I don't know why we're so scared to talk about this because the central story of our faith is death and resurrection. Preach that. You know, so like, instead of focusing on the death that we're experiencing and like locking ourselves down, like, why aren't we out there like looking for where the work of God is popping up all over the world? Because God's going to do it. God doesn't need us. It's just a question of whether we're willing to go there. Not you preaching. Not you preaching so today. Of death. 
No, because we've we've been, we've embraced uh, American capitalism, live and let live, and YOLO, you only live once. We are harping right. on, hoping for uh, eternal life right now. But you're you're putting them down. You said you're laying them down. You you're burying these churches. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Did you get? Yeah, the, well, are you like, giving the benediction? We are. It was a good church. We are dying, <laughs> and it is it is okay to say. Thank you, God, for the yeah. 85 years of witness yeah. in this place. And may our witness be a blessing. And we're sending it forward because we know God is, we know like turning the key and walking away is not the end for God. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this resistance to dying has to do with the ways in which we've capitalized on the gospel and we've turned it into from kingdom centered to a capitalist driven market enterprise. We wanted to keep going that we're passing it down to our children. It's supposed to go on forever because this is our namesake, Uh, much like Dolce Gabbana, Louis Vuitton. It's like, oh, no, you know, we're grace such and such. We're restoration such and such. We're the Mm -hmm. center for such and such. So I wonder if that is also a part of it and that we have tied ourselves up, tangled ourselves up in it. Um, and naming it the will of God and naming it yes. after ourselves when it has nothing to do with Jesus. 500%. <laughs> Jesus was on the margins. He was always being, you know, abused, exploited, uh, misquoted. Um, mm. He was always pushing people in those areas where they they were tender, you know, to, to, to stretch, to grow, to imagine that God can do something bigger in the world. Um, I want to be there. Like, yeah, it costs a lot, but I want to be there. I mean, you you hearing you say Jesus is on the margins, I immediately thought, and the church is at the market. Yes, we're busy buying and selling and trading and making money. Yes, and thinking that's an expression of making disciples. How many you running, Doc? How big is your mm-hmm. building? Mm-hmm. Um, how much did you listen, take in this Sunday? Listen, Starlet, I was pastor of the largest steeple Protestant church in America. And to get us to um, behave like we say we believe was was very difficult. And I know that Riverside Church is not, not alone in that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, even if we talk a good game, how are we living? My Lord. Last question. Mm-hmm. Last question. What, what is the body language of a church that toes the color line? And what is the work ahead for those of us, I'm raising my hand here, whose bodies feel compa- feel called rather, uh, and even compelled to erase it? Mm. Well, I mean, you cannot be it if you, have ne- if you don't see it. My daughter says that all the time. Mm-hmm. You got to see it if you want to be it. So who's leading your churches? Who's up there in your pulpits? Who's preaching? Who's taking... Um, Uh, positions of authority, who's helping us think outside the box, you better make sure that that looks like the kingdom of God, because if it doesn't, you're just recreating um, a white capitalist institution. And who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. We were just talking about this in my Bible study. Like I'm not coming back to church after a pandemic to do the same thing we were doing before. I'm not showing up for that. I can watch that online. If you're going to do the same thing we did before the pandemic and it's the same structure, same program, nothing's changed. What is the point of me coming back? I'm not Mm -hmm. getting in traffic when I can watch it online. If it's going to be the exact same thing, we're going to sit and stand at the exact same times. You're Mm going to get the exact same call to worship and the same people are going to be in leadership. I'm not showing up for that. That's Let right. me know when you've done a new thing, and then I'll come back for that. Send me the advertisement for that. They're not coming back into the building to do that again. You cannot be it if you cannot see it. 
And if they're not seeing it, they're not coming. If it's not a new thing, they don't want to see it. So we got some work to do. do. Yeah, right. (laughs) How do we step out there into the risky gospel that God has called us to live? I think these conversations are a part of it. I think those are the nudgings and that, that there are persons who are anxious about it, persons who are dissatisfied with what they're seeing and people who are calling it like they see it. Like, ah, 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 this is not what we need in this moment. You need to be Well, it helps prophetic. me to, to be in this conversation because it feels like a lonely place sometimes. And yeah. I need conversation partners to be sure I'm being pushed out there. And so I gotta say thank you for letting me think about these things with you. It's so great. That means so much to me. <laughs> Reverend Dr. Amy Butler, thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> I want to thank our guest, Amy Butler, and extend to you, our listeners, an opportunity to know this Jesus who wrote something in the sand. Now, I don't know what it was, but it was in response to those who stood around judging. The Raceless Gospel Podcast Season 3 is brought to you by Good Faith Media. You can support our work and witness by making a tax-deductible contribution to Good Faith Media at goodfaithmedia.org. This concludes this episode of the podcast, but not the conversation. Let's keep watching our body language. Head over to our Fellowship Hour at Raceless Gospel Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and Raceless Gospel Pod on Twitter. Absent in the body, but present in the Wi-Fi spirit. I'll see you there. On next week's episode of the Raceless Gospel Podcast, we'll hear from Aid San and Betty Wright Riggins and talk about what should be on the tip of the North American church's tongue. Season three of the Raceless Gospel Podcast is brought to you in part by the CBF Podcast, Since 2016, the CBF podcast has delivered over 300 episodes of interviews with thinkers, authors, theologians, creatives, and practitioners for conversations that matter. These critical and innovative conversations have garnered weekly support from around the world. The CBF podcast tries to cultivate healthy and diverse theological dialogue in a culture fraught with division. Stream and subscribe to the CBF podcast on Apple, Google, Amazon, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast platforms. Learn more at cbf.net slash podcasts.